I think the secret sauce today is is don't look at your customer experience as just the customer's experience. Look at it how is your how is your employee interacting with that, um, and how do you create low friction, great outcomes, and when do you need to apply higher friction for higher outcomes? And you know all of these things are, are really critical. Are you seeking a better way to accelerate your sales, to scale your business, to live a life with no limits? Accelerate Sales Podcast features global experts who have cracked the code to recurring revenues with proven sales systems and get you on the fast track to scaling. Now let's accelerate your sales with today's episode. Welcome to the Accelerate Sales Podcast. You're going to learn three key things from our guest today. One is why the HubSpot partner model is winning over other cloud partner models. The second is Will sales roles even exist in the future and will partners needed to be there for sales? And the third thing is why services are on the improve and how you can benefit from it. So welcome again to the Accelerate Sales Podcast. If you're a first-time listener and you love what you hear, please subscribe no matter what platform you're on. And if you're a regular, always love those reviews. Uh, take your own notes as you always do, but just know that we've got a good summary of the notes in whatever app you're listening to with all the links. And we've also got more detailed uh, notes and more like a blog at pauliganswentering.com forward slash podcast. And I do take lots of notes in this because uh, Rod was amazing. So uh, if I look looking down, it's not disrespectful. I'm just trying to get as much value for you in those show notes as possible. Also, I'd love to quickly thank our sponsors, uh, the Cloud Consultants Collective. It's a peer community for cloud consultants or SaaS resellers, whatever you call yourself, uh, that are just peers helping each other. It's a free Slack group. And you can find out more at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash CCC. And the other is SendSpark. So if you're looking to send personalized videos at scales, SendSpark is right for you. I love it. You can have a GIF waving to people and uh, there's a lot of other scale features that they've got there. So you can actually get six months free access to that at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash SendSpark. So that's SendSpark. So our guest today is Rod Moyahan. And he's got 22 years of SaaS experience working for some of the biggest brands in the world. And he really loves to focus on go-to-market models and how he reduces friction between the buyer and the seller. And some of the companies he's worked for include Microsoft and Microsoft Dynamics, Salesforce, SAP, Accenture, Cloud Services, and also Zengist. This just to name a few. And now he's a director of BAC Partners, Australian-based company that is an elite HubSpot partner. He's grown that from six to 22 employees pretty quickly. And he loves helping uh, with customer experience and also employee experience to, again, bring down that friction between buyers and sellers. So what I'll do now is hand you over to Rod Moyahan from bacpartners.com.au. Welcome, Rod. So great to have you here on the Accelerate Sales Podcast. Paul, uh, thank you for the invitation. I can't wait to talk about some of my favorite topics. Yeah, well, I know that we before air spoke about one of our favorite topics, which is the love for golf. We'll have to park that maybe for a different type of uh, podcast. But why don't we kick off with um, who are the ideal clients for you? Who do you love to work with? And what are some of the problems you solve for them? Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a good question because I think um, – Ideal clients take many different shapes. Um, um, 
I'd start by saying, I guess, you know, depending on how you profile your business and the segments you play in that 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 perfect client or that ideal client is going to change somewhat. Um, for me, over the years, I guess there's been a number of, of, of characteristics uh, or archetypes that I would apply to that. I, I'll start by saying I think an ideal client is actually just an ideal relationship in some ways uh, that, that, you know, it's open, it's collaborative, there's a sense of a, of a unified end state. Uh, and there's a collegiate nature and how you want to work together to get to that end state. Um, if I kind of broke that down into some of the, I guess, uh, more business orientated characteristics, I think for us it would be an organisation that really has a customer experience first lens. Uh, that uh, that from the top down, from the from the uh, from the executive layer down, there is a passion and a desire to create. Um, um, advanced and 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 enriched consumer experiences with their brand or their products or their services, and I think the next thing would be an organisation that has a kind of change orientated culture that they never really sit still. They're always thinking about how to amend and adjust and create um, a better model for 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 their products and services. And I think there's probably a last one for me, and that is that you know um, an organisation that you know treats um, suppliers not like a supplier but like a partner. Yes. Uh, that that there is a long term view of the of the relationship, and you know relationships end, and at some point in time you, you you have an end of life for the contribution and skills you bring. But I think um, treating a a supplier like a supplier is the wrong way to go ahead. So that would be me, you know. To and then I think the other thing is ideal customers probably change somewhat because um, relationships are people orientated, and as people come and go from companies, the relationships change and the ideal customer changes. Yeah, great. Um, and 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 some of the problems. What are some of the problems that they or you help them solve? Yeah, look, we we as an organisation today, uh, we have a we have a I guess a vision to have every organisation obsessing around how their uh, how customers interact with them, um, and and I think there's two ways that we help them do that. One is that we we help them fully uh, get transparency of the customer journey and the customer interaction as it relates to what they do, and we look at that in three parts. We look at it in terms of what the we traditionally know as the lead gen area, but we call that the attract phase. Um, uh, so how do you attract people to your brand and, and, and how do you get into the channels where they are and, and how do you develop messaging and ongoing messaging that's aligned to that persona in that channel? Uh, the second is we help them understand the conversion process across to, to what we call the acquisition program. So how do we then take that from interest and, 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 a, and create desire to into actually transacting, transacting and the processes that are involved in that. And then the last one is how do we then take that through a nurture and a grow program? So how do we support that customer and, and get to know them better and then build upon that relationship? And in those three layers, is, in those three uh, engagement programs, there's three layers we would look at with them is one is really the logical process design piece. So how do we look at that? What is that journey? How do we design that? The next one is then what we would traditionally know as kind of like a service blueprint. So how do we then look at what toolages, what data is required in that in, in those journeys? And then the third one is um, uh, designing the architecture, both in terms of legacy landscape and future landscape uh, and application landscape that's going to be required. And I think when you get that right and you develop it in, in an overarching uh, agile manner, uh, you can continue to improve that. Yeah, great. And and what you know, if you look at the attraction, acquire, and nurture, what 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 with all your experience, what do you what do you know that you think a lot of other uh, agencies or uh, cloud partners miss? 
Yeah, I think I think um, we're very lucky now that I think buyers, our buyers, are now you know probably never been more connected to what a, an integrated digital journey looks like. Um, and 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 what I mean by our buyers is organisations, not the not our clients' yes. buyers. Yes. But they now realise that creating kind of islands of data, segregated data experiences, manual processes, handover processes that are clunky and take longer time. They're starting to realise now that you you do need an aggregated platform that makes that really, really easy for everyone involved. I think the other big thing that I'm seeing is people are now turning their lens to what we would call the employee experience. And what I mean by that is, is employee enablement. Um, it, it, it's it, there's two parts for employee experience. Obviously, one is a cultural one. So how do employees experience you as a business? When we talk about employee experience and enablement, what does that employee engagement look like with a customer? How do we make that even more seamless? How do we make that enriched for both parties? Um, and that really does go back to those three elements of you know process design, service design, and technology architecture, uh, and how you apply that. And so you know I, I think the secret sauce today is is don't look at your customer experience as just the customer's experience. Look at it how is your how is your employee interacting in that, um, and how do you create low friction, great outcomes, and when do you need to apply higher friction for higher outcomes? And you know all of these things are, are really critical. But the good news is as I as I've seen really COVID really accelerated the way that organizations are thinking about the digital experience for employee and customer yeah yeah it was interesting i, I heard um someone on a podcast the other day say that high quality sales is dead you know that um you know just sending blasting a thousand emails a, a a week and hoping that you get you know one two percent conversion or whatever those is uh is you know in the past what what sort of your views um on, on a, sta- a bold statement like that um, I'm always kind of on the fence on on the, some of these these statements because I think I think um, again going back to the first thing if you know who your buyer is their archetype their motivations their style you're going to find that there are going to be different channels that are going to have different success depending on what sort of business you are and who you're trying to sell to um, you know in a B2B sense um, you know email is still you know B2B organizations you know email probably has a three percent uh, response rate. Uh, which is pretty low. Uh, in B2C sense, it's even lower. It might be as low as, you know, un- under 0.3%. Yes. Um, so I think you've got to pick the channels for the markets you play in and, again, know your customer. You know, I think um, I think uh, today's programs are an omni-channel program. It, it, it's not just a single channel for success. It's it's um, it's trialling multiple channels and running multiple campaigns. It could be email-based with a call to action to something else. It could be text message-based based on another routing process. Uh, don't forget the old world of picking a phone up that works for some clients still, depending on your persona and who you're selling to. Uh, but I think... Um, you know, today's today's technology platforms allow you to do pretty strong A/B testing around these things as well. So, you know, um, is email dead? I'm probably not sure. If you ask how many people they spend in front of email a day, it's probably probably sixty percent of their days is responding and communicating an email. Uh, how do we make email more effective? Is probably is probably the question. Yeah, yeah. And what are some of the examples you've seen you know what are some things that you're testing with clients at the moment to to improve that you know three percent to to make it higher yeah i think you've got to pick i think the seasonality number one so when do you actually put them out um also again it goes back to it i mean there is some people who are not going to look at emails i mean if you're selling to if one of your core buyers is a is a tradie Mm -hmm. right Uh, we have a customer who 
uh, sells um, products to trade to trades. I mean, their their channel of choice is text message um, because it's it's easy. Um, it, you can put 10, 12 words together with a with a call to action to a hyper to a hyperlink somewhere. Uh, tradies live on these bad boys. That's what they conduct all their business in. They're not. They're probably only going to their desktop to do invoicing at night or looking at zero, looking at cash flow reporting, ordering. Uh, so you know, it, again, it goes back to understanding. On the email front, I think um, I think emails need to. They are, I'm a bit over gated emails. If I'm being completely honest, I think the, the gated email is for me is is unless it's it's so valuable, no one's going to click through and give you their details. They're just not right. Yes. Um, I think you've got to enrich emails and get rid of gated emails. I think you've got to put the reward in the email. If I'm going to open that email, reward me. Yes. Yes, yeah, that would be yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that's great, great advice. And yeah, I think the yeah the days of uh, yeah signing up and uh, you'll get all the value then. Uh, uh, you know, most people are trying to reduce their subscriptions, not uh, not increase right. them. And um, you know, if I sort of change gears a little, you've you know worked for some of the biggest tech companies in the world. You know, Microsoft, Salesforce, SAP, um, you know, Zendesk, etc. And you've been on the vendor side. Mm-hmm. And you've been working with uh, partners to help distribute the products. You know what? What are some of the differences across those um, those different networks and, and the philosophies around? You know what a partner really means. Yeah, I think uh, the uh, the partner models, the partner evolution, going back to uh, we've got a rumor now. I've been in the industry for twenty five years. Um, when I when I joined. Um, Microsoft as employee number three for what was in Microsoft Business Solutions that we know today is Microsoft Dynamics. So all their ERP products, their CRM and their retail, their POS, all those sort of things. That was um, a really, really interesting time because my first major learning of, of, of being in a channel because uh, Microsoft did not sell direct in that space. So every every bit of revenue came through a channel. And it was an interesting one because they were they were they had acquired competitors effectively in the market. They bought Exapta, Navision, Solomon, Great Plains, yes. Yes. and then brought them in under one parent and said, "Go out and play nicely." Um, but all those channels were competing with each other. So one of the things I guess I learned in the early days around really good partnering was um, uh, was ensuring that your partners knew where to play, yes. uh, and 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 you play. You know, as a as a vendor, you played a really core role in terms of having a really really clear plan and strategy of where each of the products you had were, were going to be successful, and then ensuring that your partners were enabled to be successful in those sectors and you help guide them through that because a lot now that in principle sounds great in reality they a buyer might reach out to all of those and ask them to compete on the same sale but the other thing you you learn through a partner model is you've got to feed the machine you you've got to help provide leads and you've got to you've got to put marketing into into the into into the channel and help them uh, through that and the other thing is that your your role as a as a partner is is almost an influencer, not a not a uh, and a coach, not necessarily um, telling people what to do. So, you know, in those early days at Microsoft, that was a really interesting time to go through as they were bringing these channels together. Um, if I look at some of the others, uh, I won't mention names. Uh, some were woeful at partnering, absolutely woeful because they were competing. Effect- effectively, they were a competitor to the channel. Yes. Um, and you can't have that. Uh, you 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 cannot be uh, creating a accelerating and building a channel, but then only telling them when they can have access to a customer or access to a lead. Um, if I fast forward to yeah, sorry. 
Yeah, sorry, and I, I can't believe that's still the case in some. Like, you know, I, I come from the world of Coca-Cola where, you know, mm. we franchise all franchisees. So, you know, not the best product in the world. Mm. Um, tastes good, but not good, for, especially if you've got a kidney disease like me, right? So mm. <laughs> not great. But, but you know, they they really knew how to, to maximise that franchise or franchisee or, you know, vendor mm. um, partner model. But, uh, yeah, I, I've been really surprised working across – multiple platforms and we've got a community called the cloud consultants collective which has got you know basically platform agnostic right so wherever yeah. you're a partner you can be in and the difference is quite amazing and yeah, yeah there's still that competitiveness in well, some of the marketplace i can't believe that that's still the case well i mean there's there's really two types of or well, three types of partners right there's um there's a, a reseller yes who was goal to go and create out create their own channel their own lead sorry their own pipeline and close that and and get recognition for that based on whatever software is sold you get a you get a percentage of that um, there's a referral partner which really at the end of the day has no commitment to build a pipeline other than referring an opportunity back to the vendor and then you have the, the final partner model, which is like an SI partner. So all you do is, is systems integration or project delivery work around that. Each of those are very different in in, in the go to market, um, and each of those each vendor treats those differently. So you know, if you take the Salesforce channel, for example, uh, you know most Salesforce partners today make all their money out of services. Yes. Um, num- for a number of reasons. What, number one, that uh, Salesforce has a very very large direct sales force. Um, and so trying to actually influence someone to buy directly off a reseller versus the vendor is really hard. So, you know, trying to create a channel of, of revenue from a resale perspective is, is is probably not what you're going to do as a Salesforce partner. Um, and, and so to that extent, Salesforce will go and sell the deal and then they will, will, will coexist a sale with a partner and sell collaboratively. And then the, the services go to the, um, to the services partner. Um, you know that's how most traditional partnership models work um, in the B two B space. If I fast forward to today in my current role at uh, at BAC, where we're we're a HubSpot partner, yeah. I think HubSpot actually has probably developed the best partnering model I've ever seen. Um, they they um, outsource pretty much about seventy percent of their work through their channel. They co-sell very very well. Um, they plan and align very, very well. Uh, so as a partner, you know the sectors, the segments, the industries that you play in with them. And they 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 issue out, a, they put a truckload of marketing into, into, into the marketplace and they issue a lot of leads directly to, to their partners. And as a result, you've got a really well-adjusted, really happy, profitable um, partner channel. Um, and so, you know, for me, they would probably be the gold standard of any vendor i've ever seen either that i've been inside or or now outside as a partner I and mean, when you pick them because i know you're a, a diamond partner mm-hmm. uh with them when you you know did you pick the platform first and then realize that that was the partner model they had or did you look at both at the same time when you made the assessment because well, you know well, you we, could have picked we, anyone yeah why, i mean when i came into the business we were kind of like the ice cream truck with 101 flavors we <laughs> You know, we we were partners with everyone, and um, we did a consolidation program where we um, we uh, we decommissioned some some uh, relationships with uh, other other similar type of products to HubSpot. Um, 
I, I, what I see in HubSpot, and you know, I don't want to give away too much competitive advantage here for us because it's also a competitive channel, um, and it's a growing channel. But what I what I saw in HubSpot is what I saw in Salesforce in two thousand and four. Right. Um, so when I came on board as the uh, VP of Sales at Salesforce, we're a really really small sales team. Believe it or not, you look at Salesforce today, building a mega building in Sydney, you'd you'd, you'd be hard to believe. When I joined Salesforce, it was fifty people in Australia. Wow. Um, so and we had. I think we had 16 salespeople. That was it. Um, but what I saw then was the emergence of a new way of looking at um, an aggregated uh, customer experience through through a really really good platform that that allow or good platform back then that allowed both the employee to have automations and efficiencies built into their, their sales cycles, great insights produced. And what it was doing by being in the cloud was, was really, really challenging the cost of ownership and the ROI that at that point the dominant player, which was Siebel, was doing. Um, now, fast, if I look at what I saw when I first started investigating HubSpot, was I, I think HubSpot's going to do to Salesforce what Salesforce did to Siebel. It's the new generation of thinking. It's it's uh, Salesforce will always have a place. There's no yes. there's no way two ways about that. But what I have also learned from 25 years of seeing business applications bought implemented is that um, most organisations start with a really really strong goal and plan of what they want to achieve by having a new technology framework. In reality, when they fast forward, they probably only scratch the surface of what they set out to achieve. Yes. And in the Salesforce world, I've been a Salesforce user. I've, deploy, I've been part of three deployments over over twenty years. I can tell you from a Salesforce standpoint, and this would be the same potentially with SAP or Oracle or whatever. Is you 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 actually only end up using a pittance of what yes. functionality exists. And I think what HubSpot's done by having a, a new code base, a more flexible code base, an integrated code base across the whole. Uh, attract, acquire, and nurture program is it's it's not cobbled together anymore. It's a single code base with a single customer experience from end to end. And I think this is where it's challenging um, the way that organisations want to move to that new digital world of a connected experience that's seamless is if you want to do that in other more legacy products, you're, you're effectively buying a whole heap of different code bases. So yeah. I'm not picking on Salesforce because it sounds yes. terrible. but It's just reality of evolution, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you, like you said, they did it at Siebel. HubSpot are doing it to them, and I agree. And I think, you know, that's the, you know, if you look at RevOps now, I know that's, you know, I think it was one of the most searched terms in uh, last year. It's a similar thing, right? You want to see that end-to-end, um, you know, from the marketing, from the sales and the the customer. And I know when I was at Coca-Cola, you know, it was always, you know, silos, you know, and that, that made it difficult. It made it hard because one company was the silo. But it sounds like HubSpot, you know, are integrating very well with the partners, which is, Great. And, and and where do you see this sort of playing out? Like I know there's some discussion out there that they're saying, you know, that people will just buy more and more enterprise software off marketplaces and there'll be less of a need for partners and less of a need for salespeople in the, the future and other people are saying, no, it's going to continue sort of the way it is. What What's your view out of the the, the window that you're seeing at the moment? Well, I, I definitely think we're going to see uh, is, well, again, I mean, if you look at legacy products that have uh, require 
lots of system administration, lots of specific skills to get value out of it, to build it, develop it, configure it, whatever it might be, integrate it. Those legacy products are always going to require more and more people to get value out of it because they can't change your legacy code base, right? Yes, it is, yes. It is what it is. But when you see new code base products coming out, I'll, I'll give you an example like in a HubSpot world again. So um, to deliver... Um, I'm on record here, so I've got to be a little bit careful. But but I think you know to deliver something that is an end-to-end experience for a you know sort of mid-tier type organisation around marketing, sales, customer service, and support, and possibly some RevOps integration into revenue recognition tools in the background. You're probably looking at doing that for about thirty or forty percent of the cost and time and effort than you would in a legacy product. Now, the reasons for that is, number one, you make a change in one area, it's replicated across the whole product now, so you don't have to do it in different areas. The other aspect to your point around marketplaces is really interesting because you can handpick now um, uh, core bits of functionality that are designed specifically to work within that architecture of that product, like HubSpot, and use that really, really, really quickly. Um, Are salespeople dead in this world? Um, I don't think so. I, I think from what I'm seeing, people still want to interact and have... Um, um, more interactive conversations to determine what their requirements are and 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 deal with an organisation to get a unique fit uh, to that. Uh, are services companies dead in this world? Uh, no way. Um, uh, if you're a services company that is developed around an industry or developed around certain core components of IP, such as RevOps, um, an organisation with their own insular view of trying to roll out a product is only going to probably roll out what their insular view allows them to see yes um, when you bring externals in you get you get an external view and you get a different best practice view and you get guidance so example in our business i mean we've deployed 18 last 12 months we deployed 18 sites um, with hubspot now each one of those had very very different uh, competitive positions they were trying to achieve with the product and, and things they were trying to improve but as a result of being exposed to that you also start to build all that IP around how other people are seeing that you can bring to other customers. So I think services companies aren't just there to configure and build. They're actually bringing best practices to to the conversation as well. I, I totally agree. And that was the biggest thing I sort of noticed from moving from the you know Coca-Cola <clears throat> world into the SaaS world is that you know Coca-Cola, so back as a quick example, back in um, 2000, the second biggest food, uh, fast food chain in the world, they came to us and said, we want this price. And we're like, mm-hmm. We can't achieve that price, but in short, what we did is mined all their data mm-hmm. and said, you know what, well, we'll help you grow your total business, right? So you'll get more than the price that you want off us. It's going to come from the consumer, but it's going to grow your business. So a fully, you know, integrated partner. So that was back in 99, right? Whereas I yep. still think that some of the SaaS products, their greatest strength is they've got lots of features. But yeah, the strength right. overplayed is a weakness, right? So they go in and say, hey, we've got, you know, in the demo, here's all these features. And like you said, you know, it's people only want the result. They want the result with using the least amount of features possible, right? Because they've got a busy life. So I think mm. the, you know, um, I think the adoption and all is around the consulting services and best practice that you can say, well, actually, here's, this is the, this is how you get the outcome rather than just selling the software. And I think yeah. some do it well. And I think HubSpot sounds, like they do it well, but I still think some of the SaaS platforms are stuck in a bit of a legacy world. Uh, that's just my observation from being yeah. in the, the industry. But I, I, what you know, what, what HubSpot's that? recognized, which is really, really strong. So um, HubSpot recognized that they're a software company. Yes. That they've recognized that what they will continue to do is to build the best software platform they can. 
they will also recognize that partners are the key to bringing the value to the software. Yes. Um, and so they do a lot of work with partners around, as I said, planning. I'll I, I make one other quick point that I think here around the services play here, and that is that if I look at if I look at um, why organisations would engage a services company to get a great outcome, if, if I go back again to those three layers I talked about at the beginning of this, this webinar, Paul, around um, uh, understanding your customer, their archetype, their journey, their engagement, and looking at that from a process design, then a service blueprint, and then a technology architecture piece. The technology architecture piece is last. Yes. It is last. Yes. You have to define and understand yes. the first two before you get. You then start trying to transform or maximise what you've already invested in. Um, and then, you know, you talked about RevOps before. Like I, One of the areas in RevOps, and I think people from a process design, service design per, per piece, miss the most in is the revenue recognition integration. So once we transact, how do we make that seamless? Right, and how do we use that, trend, that that revenue recognition piece in the background to then empower the front end, so we always know where we're at in terms of the customer spend, whatever it might be, and how do we leverage that in ongoing marketing campaigns, expansion campaigns? How do we leverage that in terms of going back to the sales floor? Without naming names, I can tell you that um, one of the SaaS companies I led here in Australia, New Zealand, I mean their their renewals process renewals process for tens of thousands of customers was still a spreadsheet and manual. Yeah. You know, that's an example of where, you know, that should be from a RevRec perspective and from a RevOps perspective, it should be fully automated. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I've, I've, there's uh, – and, and look, there's um, – uh, I've got a, a, a guest coming up on the podcast, Sunny. He's got uh, a great product called uh, AppBind, and mm -hmm. that's sort of allowing now you – as the partner to actually manage all of the licenses on behalf mm. of the client. And I think those sort of services make sense moving forward because, mm. yeah, otherwise, um, you know, the, the whole who owns the customer, the licenses, it's always been a, a bugbear. And I think, um, you know, companies like him is going to help make mm. that easy. But, look, I could talk to you forever, Rod. Mm -hmm. You can find uh, more about Rod at BAC Partners. So that's BACpartners.com.au. We'll have all the links in the show notes. But what we'll do now is go into the oh, sales. We are, are rebranding and relaunching the company on the 1st of July. So whatever people encounter now will be vastly different on the 1st of July. Oh, well, yeah, but I'm sure there'll be links. And uh, this comes out on the 24th of May. So you'll still be able to use that until yeah. July. But um, what we'll do now is go into the sales deep dive to, to wrap this up. So yeah. you're ready for some short, sweet responses? Bang, I'll punch them out. All right, excellent. Thanks, Rod. So uh, the first one is uh, what are some daily ha sales habits that you do each day to accelerate your sales? Um, three things that I think are really important. Um, uh, you've got to have a plan. Yeah. Like That's the first thing, right? And I, everyone – um, everyone knows kind of how to plan, uh, I think, uh, and and but have a plan, and a plan's got to be linked to something else more more strategic. Exactly. Uh, so that's the first thing. Um, the next thing is uh, execute, right? So so then plan to execute, not just have a plan. And the last one, which I have to say is number one for me, um, or almost number one, is use your time well. Yes. Um, you know, there was an interview with Warren Buffett and uh, Bill Gates sometime in the last four or five years, and they uh, they said, you know, what's the most important thing in business that you've learned? And Gates, you know, give back and be philanthropic and all that. And they turned to Warren Buffett and he said, you know, I've got billions of dollars. I could I, I can buy whatever I want. What I can't buy is time. It's the one commodity we wake up with equal every day. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it is one of the key differences I see in great salespeople and people who apply great sales habits is they use their time really well. They don't waste it. Correct. And and just quickly on that, a lot of the time is done by the using the software to help yeah, you do well, that. I, I did have another point here, which is, you know. You, <laughs> and, you, and also uh, to me, uh, every business owner, if you're your own business owner and you don't have a virtual assistant, I think you're missing a trick there. So that's the other way you can save yourself a lot of time. Yeah. So the next one is technology. Obviously, you use HubSpot, like you said, you've used Salesforce in the past. But what's another piece of technology that we may not know of that's helping you accelerate your sales? Uh, well, um, we're a services organisation, so uh, PSA is really important to us. So, creating professional services automation is really important. So, how do we how do we estimate? How do we convert estimates into projects? How do we monitor projects? Uh, so, we use we use we were a very very traditional user of Atlassian, yeah. um, which uh, we we moved off predominantly onto onto another product. Um, uh, called Avaza, uh, mainly because you know uh, we we need to be able to see real time, not just for us but for our customers. Project status, project profitability, project uh, budget against estimate. It's got brilliant reporting. It's, it does great time treating. It integrates really, really well into Zero and produces all our invoices. And that for us has transformed the way that we run our company as we've scaled from six people to almost twenty-two now in that twenty months. Yeah. Um, and you know um, we couldn't have done it without that that PSA automation. Um, the only other thing I would say is that. Um, um, you know, depending on what sort of business you're in, uh, is you know people underplay the importance of support platforms yes. and having really, really, really good automated uh, support platforms and enable customers to get to you quickly for you to resolve problems quickly. Uh, and I would say that would be another one that people underplay the importance on. Great. And what's the best source of leads for BAC partners at the moment? Well, currently uh, we we work very, very closely with all our partners and. Mm-hmm. Um, we plan very, very well with our partners. So most of our leads are coming inbound from our customers, from our from our partners. Yes. Uh, although you know, relaunch of the business will change that. We hope to have a, a stronger digital presence and uh, and very and very targeted in the industries we play in. Yeah, great, great. And uh, you know, for people listening, you know, partners in that sense is the the vendor or the the SaaS platform as uh, as the key partner. And uh, the last question is, you know, what's one action we can take from today to ten x our sales? Um. Be very, very clear on your your company's market and where you play uh, and who you sell to, but get, understand your processes mm. and understand how those processes um, work and to sell to your customer and where you need to be and then adopt technology to help you automate that. And lastly, hire good people, which is really hard. Yeah, at the moment, uh, incredibly so, right? It's, yep. uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just... Amazed, I went past the largest Toyota dealership in a, in um, I think it's in the Southern Hemisphere. Anyway, it's in in Melbourne. You may know of it, and um, you know, at the front they had an advertisement looking for accounting staff. I'm like, when would you ever think that uh, the major Toyota dealership in Australia or in the Southern Hemisphere would have a, a sign out the front asking for well, accounting uh, staff. I should go and see them because uh, one of the areas I think is a big area where we have a really constrained labour marketplace right now. Uh, one of the areas that we are seeing is, is been around for a little while, but we're actually now starting to consider some adoption around this is around RPA, so robotic process automation. And uh, I think the middle and back office aspects of all companies should be looking at RPA. Um, in terms of invoice production, um, uh, debtor management, creditor management, 
uh, all those sort of things. I mean, you can get a virtual robot for a couple of thousand dollars a year as opposed to spending 150 grand on a salary to do the same thing. I know that sounds a bit inhuman, uh, but maybe none of what in Toyota might be. I'm not sure. Um, maybe they need to uh, think about actually. Yeah, that's market. a great point. And, 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 and look, you know, I think just quickly on that, so I know we're uh, a bit longer than normal, but the, you know, it just gives that person opportunity to do something that a robot can't, right? So, I, I, you know, people get worried about, oh, they're going to replace this, AI is going to replace. No, it'll just be a shift. It's no different to when farmers used to plough land and now, you know, they're using uh, tractors and automation to, yeah, to do it, yeah. right? It's just an evolution. But, uh, Rod, it's been brilliant having you on. So, once again, there will be a new website and we'll put a link to that when it comes out. But at the moment, you go to BAC partners.com.au and you can find uh, more about Rod but uh, yeah been brilliant having you on today Rod and thanks for sharing your wisdom Paul wonderful look forward to the next one that was a great interview with Rod we had to swap platforms a little so if the quality wasn't as good as normal we're using uh, Google Meets rather than Zoom Uh, but I hope you really enjoyed it Um, you know once again he talked about uh, the role the HubSpot's playing and why it's a great partner. He's also spoke about, you know, why we need salespeople and also some of the other key things around the way that services play. Um, you know, so great learnings. You can uh, share those learnings on LinkedIn. Mention Rod, he would love that and uh, give him a shout out for the work he's done. Uh, Also, you know, you can find out more at bacpartners.com.au. I know that's going to be updated. We'll put that into the future links. And uh, also you can find more detail at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. And you can also ask for a full transcript as well. And if you know one, 10, or if you've got lots of friends, that's even better. Uh, People that are looking to find out more please share this with them, right? Rod gave a lot of information and Rod also might be a great opportunity to learn from or work for as well. So uh, share it with them. Don't be a hog. Don't keep it to yourself. Uh, Check out those solo shows and also don't forget that free community for cloud consultants. It's at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash CCC. Last thing, as always, please take action to accelerate your sales. I'm fired up after today's episode. What about you? But hey, before you go, learning is just one piece of the puzzle. Now it's time to put today's strategy into action. Head over now to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast and share how you'll put it into action. Be sure to head over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell me what your favorite episode is. And don't wait one minute more to gain access to your pulse check at paulhigginsmentoring.com. This could be the difference between struggling to get more leads and making this next quarter your best one yet.